You've probably always wondered why this candle is pink and the other ones are purple, right? You've probably been asking yourself that question. Why is the joy candle pink? Well, purple is the color of royalty. It is also the color of repentance. And in the Advent, the color pink represents joy for liturgical purposes. Now, I don't know what that means, but that's what I read. But the pink is in the midst of the purple. Bear with me for a minute here. The pink actually shows that the Christian joy comes about through repentance. And so in the midst of the Advent, while we're awaiting the arrival of the king, not only the first time, but the second time, Sometimes it's hard to have joy. And I think it's singled out in, in, what, in what this Advent wreath represents in the sense that joy comes through knowing that there is a great God that will fulfill his promises and turning our hearts and minds to him brings about great joy. So hope was our first installment, and we talked about what it means to wait upon the Lord as the arrival of the Messiah was waited on by many, predicted by the prophets, and we the church wait in hopeful expectation for his return to make all things new. Our second installment was peace, and Jesus bringing peace between God and man And ultimately, that peace will be complete in the second coming when he brings complete peace upon this earth. The third installment is the joy candle. And it is with great joy, some call it the shepherd's candle, that the angels announce the king is here. It is good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? And maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Rob, it's the week before Christmas. Jumping, something, joy has eluded me, right? Uh, joy is is more than just an innate feeling. It it, it may be you, you genuinely want joy, but it's just not there. Life is hard. I remember a few years back, I believe it was the end of 2020. Uh, remember 2020? If you've forgotten, 2020 was the pandemic year. Beginning of 2021, and as a pastor, uh, I didn't have much joy. I'll just tell you that. So what I began doing was just preaching passages on joy. And I was like, hey, we're going to do a sermon series on joy. We're going to just talk about joy. We're going to have all these things on joy. And I was just really preaching to myself, honestly, because I didn't have joy. I was struggling to find joy In the midst of a pandemic, seeing all these things, all these things, and all the people. 
And I thought to myself, man, pastoring during a pandemic is hard. Living during a pandemic is hard. We did a conference on parenting in a pandemic. We talked about how hard that was. But um, there was no pastoring in a pandemic 101 course in seminary. I didn't take that. But I was struggling to find joy. And I just kept reading the scriptures because I needed sustainable joy, not fleeting joy, but a foundational joy. Joy not based upon whimsical ups and downs of life, but based on the steadfast love of God and his character and nature. Based upon the truths and the promises of his word. The joy that can only come through the Holy Spirit, that's the joy that we as the church, the people of God are after. And this joy is actually rooted in the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen? The fulfillment of the prophecies passed down through the ages. So my prayer this morning is as you hear this sermon and read this text of scripture is that you're reminded of the steadfast love of the Lord and that you find joy in the circumstances, not in the circumstances you find yourself in, but in how much... The Lord loves you. And the reality that the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah came for you. Let's read it together. It's an intense passage. If you've never read this text before, you're in for a treat this morning. If you've read it a million times, you're in for a treat this morning. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 8. If you'll turn with me there, we're going to stand in honor of reading of God's word. Luke is the, the third gospel of the four gospels. Luke is a historian. He is a physician historian who recounts the birth of Christ in such accurately and we ought to have joy in reading this text. So Luke chapter 2 verse 8, I'm going to read it for you. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. Mm. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go down to Bethlehem and see This thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the child, the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary 
treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. You ever, you ever wonder how this, this, this text of scripture got to Luke? It was Mary, right? And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. All right, you can be seated. Father, we ask that uh, your word would bring us joy this morning. The birth of Christ and the coming king would remind us of the joy that we have in the Lord God Almighty. That he knows us, that he loves us, and that he has a plan for us and for our salvation. We thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you for people that are here this morning who have no joy And we pray that, Father, that you would supernaturally give them joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of the great uh, announcements of joy that we experience in this life is the joy of making the announcement that a child has been born. If you've ever... uh, you know, had a child, you understand the joy of announcing that to the world. It was April 1st, 1984. It was before the days of Insta, which is Instagram, if you're, if you're wondering. Twitter or X, if you're, if you're wondering what that is. Before the days of Facebook, before the days of MySpace, before the days of email, before the days of AOL Instant Messenger, even before the internet. Yes, that's how old I am. It was the Stone Ages back then. The boy to be born on April Fool's Day, 1984. And this baby, Robert Roland Lindley II, was born a bit late. And so he came April the 2nd, 1984. And so instead of making the announcement for all to see with the picture on Facebook, my dad did what he knew what to do at the time. He got his blue towel out of his bathroom and he put it on the flagpole for all to see. The baby was born to the house of Lindley in Glendale, California. So everyone knew that on Cordova Street, that baby was a boy. Maybe they thought he liked UCLA. I'm not sure exactly what they thought when they saw a towel being flown from the flagpole of this man's house. It wasn't a grand announcement, but it was an announcement nonetheless. The Lord would make his grand announcement as the multitude of angels would sing at the coming child at the fullness of time. Can you imagine being one of those shepherds just minding your own business, sitting there out under the stars, thinking to yourself, it's a great night, a little peace, a little quiet, boom, God makes the announcement through his angels. Boom. There's a heavenly host of angels. That's lots and lots of angels. Thousands upon thousands praising God in front of you. Saying glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those whom he is pleased. Can you imagine that? 
And today in the Gospel of Luke, we're invited to witness this miraculous work of God. Maybe it's the first time you're hearing this and this announcement is coming to you. Or maybe you've heard this a million times and you need to be reminded of God's glorious announcement that the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come for you. You see, this news is not just for the shepherds. It's for all of us, even today. Luke records for us the event that breaks all fear and brings great joy. The Lord himself has come to be born as a baby. The God-man born of the Holy Spirit in flesh to be the substitutionary atonement for sinners. God himself intervening into a broken world as he said he would to conquer the enemies of death and sin and Satan himself. This ought to bring about an indestructible joy in those whom God is pleased. You see, as the Christians... As people who have received this message that the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who created the heavens and the earth, actually came for me. It brings about a joy. A joy that says, this world can destroy me. This world can have everything that I have, everything I own. Yet it cannot take away from me the joy I have that knowing Jesus Christ came for me. Chapter 2 of Luke here in this gospel tells us when this was. In verse 1 it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, a real emperor, during a real time that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. You remember when Quirinius was governor of Syria, don't you? Yeah, you do. The hand of God, right? The historian recounts the real event of the birth of Jesus Christ as the hand of God moves the virgin who is to be who is to give birth through the holy spirit Mary from Nazareth to be born in Bethlehem why because God had said that the messiah the anointed one the one who is coming is to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, who are you too little to be among the clans of Judah? From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. In verse 7, this is the account of what happened. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, Mary, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Now it's interesting. Not only is the baby born in a manger, he's placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals. He's not in a proper place to have a birth of a child. He's not placed in a proper place for a child to be a newborn to be. Can you imagine taking your newborn and going, okay, I'm going to put you in a feeding trough now. Real sanitary, right? <laughs> That's real great. And can you imagine? So God not only puts the baby, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, into a manger, but then he goes and he tells the shepherds. The shepherds were the least of these. God does this, doesn't he? He takes the greatest event in the history of the world, the most important child to be born, and he magnifies the circumstance with what? With humility. The Bible calls this the fullness of time, and the king is born in a manger. And it's not kings or royals or or very important people, or it's not the head of the Sanhedrin, the religious people, that the angels go to and make this announcement. It's the shepherds. Some commentators throw them right in there with tax collectors and prostitutes. These shepherds, they had a reputation. They were considered unreliable by many, were outcasts from the rest of the society as they could not perform the ceremonial laws to make them clean. Why? Because they had to stay with their sheep. Can't go to the festivals, can't do the, the ceremonial cleanliness and, and guess what? They're uneducated people. So God gives the, the deepest theology to the most uneducated people. This is how the kingdom of God operates. There must be humility before there is glory. This is a check in our, in our system, right? This is a check in our vain system as we want our children to be the best dressed, have the best education, have the greatest honor, and yet the Lord would have Jesus in the most humble of circumstances surrounded by the lowest of low. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with Fear. This is our first point this morning. The glory of God is to be feared. The glory of God is to be feared. We see this over and over in Scripture as the glory of God comes down on Mount Sinai, the people take a back step, right? The, the Lord says, don't, don't put anything unpure on this mountain or they're going to be eviscerated. Uzzah, he touches the ark and the glory of God just kills him right there on the spot. Can't enter into the Holy of Holies in the temple. Why? Because the glory of God fills the Holy of Holies and it won't turn out very well for sinful humanity. Notice here, it's the angel of the Lord, and it's the glory of the Lord. Later, Luke will connect the dots for us as he will say, Christ the Lord. The idea here is the glory of God is so wonderful and magnificent that it is to be feared. Why? Because we are sinners. 
We are broken. We have rejected God's law. We are impure people. And the presence of God is too overwhelming for us. He is a consuming fire. And entering into his presence is something to be feared. So what are we, what are we talking about? What are we talking about the glory of God here? Well, thanks for asking. Let's look at it. Exodus thirty-three seventeen. This is an interesting uh, text because Moses is interceding on behalf of the people of Israel. And he says to the Lord, Moses said, please show me your glory. And God responds to Moses with this, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. I like verse 19, how he relates the glory of God to his goodness. Isn't that interesting? So the glory of God is all his goodness, his beauty, his overwhelming presence, the attributes of who God is. Moses is not allowed to see his face. It would be too overwhelming for him. But watch this. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh, talking about Christ here. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Let's continue on. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, don't lose sight. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side He has made him known. So it is Christ who now has made God known. It is Christ who has shown us the glory of God. So it's interesting that the glory of God appears. It's interesting that the glory of God now appears in Jesus Christ to the shepherds, but now in Christ, the Lord. So this is, in fact, what the incarnation is all about. God himself is showing us that there is a way in which man can be in the presence of Almighty God to experience the fullness of his glory because Jesus has come. So in fact, the fear of God because of his wrath and his judgment by seeing all of his goodness is done away with. 
because what Christ has done. But it is right here in this next statement in verse 10 that is striking. The glory of the Lord fills them with fear as they should be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. But this is what the Lord God Almighty says through the angel. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The glory of God is now not to be feared because Christ has come. This is good news for us as the people of God. This is point number two. The gospel brings joy. The good news is of great joy. Amen? The glory of God now becomes peace with man. Instead of judgment, there is good news. That means for you and me this morning, not just the shepherds. It's okay for us as people in this room to be honest with one another to admit that there are things in our life that we have done or are doing that we are ashamed of. It's okay to admit that if we had every thought, every thought that we've ever had placed upon a screen in front of us, that it would be unbearable for us and the people in this room to watch. And yet, there is good news for us. There is good news for us. There is good news for you, the addict. There is good news for you, the hoarder of goods. There is good news for you, the unfaithful one. There is good news for you, the imperfect parent. There is good news for you, self-centered individual. And what is that good news? Verse 11 tells us what the good news is. For unto you... Unto you, unto me, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Who is it unto? You, me, us. Just like we saw last week in Isaiah chapter 9, for to us a child is born To us the son is given and the government shall rest upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And just like Isaiah 9 has titles that we went through last week, guess what? Luke chapter 2, the announcement from the angel, he has titles. And what are they? Savior, Christ the Lord. Savior. It's interesting when you think of a Savior, you think of someone who saves, right? But what, what exactly is he saving us from? It's the wrath of God deserved for sinners. And we don't really like to say that much, do we? 
that is actually the judgment of God that Jesus, God himself, is saving us from. We want to say he's saving us from, you know, ourselves, or we want to say he's saving us from from the bad things that we've done, or our addiction, or all these things. He's saving us from the judgment of God. It's the judgment in which sinners are owed. And why is he doing that? Because he loves us. The baby born has come to us as a savior. John 3, 16, you know this verse well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Jesus is the savior of the world. God's plan of redemption and restoration and reconciliation for humanity is Jesus. Savior, the first word. The second word is Christ. The Greek word for Messiah, the promised one of the old, literally meaning in the Old Testament, meaning the anointed one. Psalm chapter 2, if you want to look at what the anointed one looks like. Those who were the anointed ones or those who were anointed in the scriptures were prophets, priests, and king. Jesus was all three. And they were set apart for God's ordained purpose. We, we actually have an ordination tonight. It's deacon ordination. We have some beautiful deacons being ordained. Mark Ford was one of them. I'm going to pull out their names because I want to say them by name. Ben Brink, Ron Heiss, Devin Smith, Mark Ford, Ryan Miller, Bill McConnell, David Adams. Tremendous men of God who are going to be ordained for a God-ordained purpose of servants in God's church as the title deacon. But Christ was prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament. They were ordained or set apart for a purpose of God. And how is Christ fulfillment of all three of these? Well, he is the word become flesh and dwelt among men. So he is a prophet, right? He speaks the word of God because he is the word come in flesh. He is the priest as he is the intercessor who atones for sin on our behalf. He is the king. Why? Because when he resurrects from the dead, all authority has been given to him. He is the prophet, priest, And a king, he is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. In the Greek, he is the Christ. So Savior, Christ, and the last title, the third title of Lord. The same title Luke uses earlier as the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, comes and the glory of the Lord, there's no confusion here of who we're talking about, 
now is given to the title to the baby. Christ the Lord. Jesus is God. In Luke, Luke is, is showing us this, right? Luke 2.26, he uses the title, the Lord's Christ. So it is Christ the Lord, and then later in Luke chapter 2, he used Christ Lord. It's like, who's, who are we talking about? Is, is it the Lord, or is it Christ Lord, or, or what are we doing here? It's, it's, it's Luke's way of doing what John chapter 1, verse 1 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Luke's way of, of saying these things. But Luke's version of the divinity of Christ this has vast applications for us as Jesus is now the all-governing Lord. He has come to declare to you that you are forgiven of your sins. He has the authority and the power and the willingness to do that. Those who have placed their faith upon him are declared righteous before an almighty God himself coming down to save his creation is something to behold. This is incredible news. This is good news. This is the gospel. All right? Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord is good news. And it takes away fear and ought to bring about sustainable joy. A joy that cannot be taken from you by circumstance. God's salvation has come to man. God's fulfillment of his promises, joy to the world. The Lord has come. We sung it this morning. Galatians, Paul writes in Galatians chapter four, verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, this is the baby being born, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Beautiful passage of scripture. So we've kind of established that the fact is, is that we, we, we fall short of the glory of God we ought to fear the glory of God because his presence is magnificent and we are, fall short of that. But then there is good news in this gospel that the Lord himself has come as Savior. But what do we do in the meantime, right? Now that we know that this has happened, what are we supposed to respond or what are we supposed to do now with this event, knowing what we know? Well, let's see what happens in the story. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. How many babies you got lying in a manger, guys? Not very many, right? Uh, so... And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what is the response to the gospel? This is point number three. The gospel's response is glorifying and praising God. This is the response of the Christian. This is the response of the angels. This is the response of the shepherds. 
Look at what the shepherds do. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. (laughs) So here comes the so what, right? The good news has come to you this morning. It's as if the angels have announced to you what has happened through Luke's account. The physician, the historian has told you personally What has happened in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago? You have been confronted with the good news about the grace and the truth of the Savior, Christ the Lord. It is our response now. What is our response now? It is to glorify God and praise Him this morning. That is our response to the great gospel. We glorify God with our life. We repent of our sin. We humble ourselves before the Lord God Almighty and we receive him as Christ the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says this, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You see, the work of God comes through the gospel in which he opens your heart to receive God himself as Lord and he implants in you the work of the Holy Spirit into your life so that you can glorify this God with your life. So if you've been praising another God, something that God has created, created things or an idol in your life, then turn from that. And praise and glorify the God who is filled with with steadfast love and faithfulness and has made a way for your salvation. You know, the angels, they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Who are the ones in whom God is pleased? It is the humble, the poor in spirit, those that rejoice at the Savior, Christ, the Lord's coming. Those are the ones in whom the Lord has pleased. And God's not asking us to do anything different than what Christ has already done in humbling himself to be born as a child in a manger, to be announced to filthy shepherds to come and adore him. 
only to live a life as a servant and to die on a cross for us. So we humble ourselves in the same way as Christ humbled himself for you. It's our turn to humble ourselves before an awesome and mighty God and say, Jesus is King, he is Lord, and my life is not my own. Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all the, his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun, moon, and stars. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Our role today is to praise the God of heaven and what he has done for us. May you be reminded that our joy is not in our circumstances, but our joy comes from God himself making a way for salvation for us. Let us rejoice and praise the God of heaven. We're gonna pray. If you stand with me now as our worship team comes, we're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and respond to the joy of God that we have in rejoicing in his great salvation. It is the pink candle for a reason, right? It's different. No matter what we're going through, no matter what sin we've entered into, no matter how far we feel like we're away from God, God still loved us. He still loves you. And he's announcing to you through the passage of Luke this morning that he wants you to rejoice in him.